I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The Deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot... Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mets fans, welcome back to Amazing Avenue Audio, the show. My name is Brian, with me as always is Chris. And uh, well, I, I say as always, we haven't been together in a while, so uh, welcome back, Chris. Um, yes, thank you. And uh, we're here to talk about the Mets. It is the all-star break right now, which some years feels like a real slog. Oh my goodness, four days without baseball. Some days, some years it's a real relief to have four days without baseball. Uh, this has kind of been a nice middle ground because there's been good Mets stuff happening during the All-Star break. You know, uh, Pete Alonso won the Home Run Derby in uh, relatively controversial fashion, it appears. People are very mad about his overall home run total versus Vlad Guerrero Jr.'s home run t- total, but that's a conversation for a different day. And then, uh, you know, Alonso collected a two-RBI base hit in the All-Star game itself. Jacob DeGrom pitched a scoreless inning, needing only seven pitches to get through the order. Um, not the order, the side, rather. And um, so, yeah, it, it's been it's been both a nice break and also it's had some really fun stuff as a part of it. So what's been the highlight of the All-Star break for you, Mets-wise? Well, I, I will say that the one thing I've been harping on on the Amazing Avenue Twitter is that Pete Alonso won the Home Run Derby, and that's <laughs> just the way it is, everybody. It, it, it's an exhibition, so on, on the one hand, you feel sort of funny getting too into it or too attached or too defensive or anything, 
But at the same time, it's a contest. It has rules. It's the way it goes. Uh, right. You know, he, you can. I don't think you even have to. I think getting into arguing how many home runs they would hit if they had equal amounts of swings or time or whatever is foolish. It's a it's a thing that's designed a certain way. There are rules. Every time he went up against somebody, he hit more home runs than they did. Yep. It doesn't make it any less fun to have enjoyed the home runs the other guys hit. Yeah. I mean, it, my point with this is just like if you're a fan of any sport, it's essentially tournament play, right? It doesn't matter if in the first round of the playoffs, your team scores 9,000 runs. If the other team scores 10,000 runs, you lose. That's how tournament play works. And, you know, if you don't like the way this played out, then you shouldn't like the way the baseball season is structured because the way it's structured does not mean the best team always wins. It means the team who does better than the other team at any particular moment wins that game. And that's what this was. And if you can't understand that, I'm sorry, that's... <laughs> that's how it works. <laughs> to, to quote the Big Lebowski, this isn't Vietnam. There are rules, you know? Uh... <laughs> yeah, but it, it really was fun to watch. Uh, I guess the internet having some backlash is inevitable, uh, but it was a lot of fun to go into a thing thinking, hey, this, this Met or the Mets... Uh, have a legit, legitimate shot to do this and to win this and, and go into the night. And you never know. Alonzo could have had a first round where, especially with, and I almost feel bad for his cousin who, who, who threw terrible batting practice to him during it. Um, yes. But got called out for it a lot. Uh, so I almost feel bad for the cousin. But at the same time, those pitches could have derailed Alonzo. He could have hit, I don't know, in four minutes, he could have hit eight home runs and had a bunch of balls that he just couldn't drive and been out of it in the first round. Uh, so, yeah, it, it's it was just a lot of fun to say, hey, he has the talent, he, he has that raw power that he might actually be able to win this, and then to see him go and do it i don't remember the last time as a mets fan like i think by the time the playoffs came around in 2015 i was feeling pretty confident and obviously they came within some errors and you know, timely hits by the royals of winning it all uh but certainly got to the world series but when's the last time other than those two things that you felt like and I feel like there's a difference between these things and awards. Right. I was just going to say, you know, I, I think I was pretty confident in DeGrom winning the Cy Young. I think I was right. pretty confident in R.A. Dickey winning the Cy Young. But those are those are different. Those are those are things that you watch slowly unfold over a season versus like a one night or a one series event. Right. And you wait a month or maybe more from the time that that season ends until you find out officially, even though last year it was, I think, inev inevitable that DeGrom was going to win the Cy Young, uh, especially by the time the season ended. It's not that same. It, you, may, maybe some people turn on the TV to find out awards announcements, but it's not tuning in or going in person, but, you know, watching something as it unfolds 
and knowing at the end, hey, our guy, our guys won. Yeah. And what was so cool about Alonso winning it was, first of all, he he won each round in the most dramatic way you can do it, which meant just from a, from watching it on television, it was a far more interesting experience than if he just went out there and clobbered, you know, home runs back to back to back. It was just it was there was a lot of built in drama to it, which is fun. It's fun as a viewer to watch that, even if it makes it a little bit more nerve wracking. It's an exhibition. Who cares? It's fun to watch a closer contest. That was super fun. Second of all, it seems like, you know, sometimes I get in this bubble of you forget that not everybody in baseball pays attention to your team the way you do. So it's always nice to hear national baseball people talk about the Mets in a good way because that's so rare to have that happen. And it seemed like everybody was really was complimenting Alonso on his maturity and his... uh you know, his just generosity with the media and his actual, like, you know, fiduciary generosity with uh, giving away a fair amount of his winnings and just, you know, all these all these really nice Mets moments, which is so bizarre because usually if it's not Gary, Keith and Ron, all we hear about during a broadcast that's Mets related is how how the Mets have fucked up recently. So it was nice to get some positive Mets commentary while I was watching the Derby. And the last thing I want to say is just that it looked like one of the things I like about the Home Run Derby, and a lot of people hate the Home Run Derby, and I get that. It's it's dumb. It's pointless. Sure, all of that is absolutely true. But it's one of the very few times that Major League Baseball allows its players to have legitimate fun, and you see players sort of in a much more casual setting than you would normally see them. They're joking with each other. They seem to genuinely enjoy each other's company. These are things that Major League Baseball doesn't like you seeing. And so it's nice to have a night when people can stop pretending to be enemies and just be cool with each other. And I think it's endearing to watch the athletes be cool with each other. I enjoy that. I like watching them somewhat goof around and all of that. I think that there's a a nice bit of um, reality check that comes from that. So I, I, I enjoy the home run derby despite it being incredibly dumb. Yeah, <laughs> and when the Met wins it, it's even better. So, yeah, and sorry, I don't have a better response than that, but uh, I'm with you. Um, yeah, I think within any game, inevitably there are going to be some people who don't love each other mm-hmm. but uh but yeah and it was also sort of interesting to have it be uh, a bit of a platform for players to say things about the game whether it was justin verlander going off on the baseball itself uh being juiced uh whether it was Syndergaard tweeting uh, you know hey congrats to peter alonzo and hey he just doubled his salary for the year with yep. a little the thinking emoji just things it was it was a cool combination of the Mets shiny new toys having a stage and and doing well with it with Alonzo and McNeil and DeGrom continuing to just be DeGrom in a good way uh and and those things that I don't know I'm sure the commissioner's office was losing it (laughs) over some of the things that players were saying during this but it was Exactly to your point, 
uh, or, or in conjunction with it, giving the players an opportunity to be seen a little more as people and to speak their minds a little bit. It, it was a, it was a refreshing couple of days. Yeah, the other thing I, I do want to say, just in general, is about the home run derby in particular, but the All Star game this year too. But really, the home run derby. It was great to see so many rookies and second and third year players really highlighted, and to just see how good the young core of this game is. Uh, especially because, as we have discussed before, oftentimes if you watch enough baseball, all you hear are old ex-player announcers talking about how bad the game is right now. And to see all this young talent proving them absolutely wrong is a lot of fun for me. Yeah. Baseball is good and fun, damn it. Make it gooder and funner. I know that's bad grammar. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, yeah. Um, Any other All-Star Week thoughts? Hmm... No, I don't think so. I mean, it was nice. It, was it might nice. be the high point of the season in, in the end. <laughs> it probably will be. I, there are other things to look forward to, and we'll get to that. But right now it felt like the the relatively good start in April that none of us bought into too heavily because we learned our lesson just a year ago. Uh, might have been it. But, yeah, the All-Star stuff has a chance to stick around and take that title. Yeah, agreed. So let's we're going to look back on the first half of the season a little bit tonight and just uh you know not go super in depth, but just talk about a couple of things that happened in the first half and maybe give our general impressions of the team in the first half and sort of you know comment on a few things that happened. So before uh before we get too far here, Chris, if you had to characterize your um your optimism for the Mets when the season started versus now, how different is your met are, are your met expectations? See what I did there uh, from when the season <laughs> started to now. Do you feel much worse about the team? Somewhat worse about the team? You know, better about the team? How you feeling? <sighs> I guess worse. <laughs> I just don't. I don't know. It's it's crazy to have these guys and this record all at the same time. Like, I think, I feel pretty strongly that Edwin Diaz is better than this. I feel pretty confidently that Robinson Cano isn't toast and is going to hit like his usual self eventually. Uh, sooner rather than later would be nice. But <laughs> there's <laughs> despite all that, I just look at it and I, and I, it's hard to see how I mean this season you, anything's possible, of course, but this season forget it. They did, they needed like a they need to win 12 or more games in a row just to kind of get back into being able to afford losing a couple series and uh, still be relevant. So, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I mean, as we get into trade rumor season and everything, maybe they pull off some amazing trades and those help to supplement the 
good young players they have. Uh, and DeGrom's not exactly a young player anymore, but certainly one of the best pitchers in the game. But it's hard. I guess the thing is, if they do that or if they don't, and Zach Wheeler is probably the one case he's set to become a free agent, uh, unless you work out an extension uh, and prevent that, he makes sense to trade, barring that specific circumstance. But you look at it, and it's just like, whether they keep all these guys and don't do a refresh or a, you know, a short-term rebuild or whatever you want to call it, whether they keep them or do that, they need ownership to be able to step in and say, hey, here's some actual money to spend on free agents. Here's the percentage of money we know we've gotten back from insurance policies on, uh, policies on Cespedes and Wright uh, and possibly Jed Lowry. If they're insuring contracts, I, I, I don't know. We haven't seen it reported firmly anywhere, I don't think. I, I don't think we've seen it reported one way or the other. I think we just don't know. Right. But you would have to assume if they're insuring, you know, not that he was making nearly as much money as the other two guys, but I don't know. I would think there's some policy on I it. I would hope so. But, yeah, that's the thing. You could have I, – I won't say nothing would surprise me because if the Mets decided to have that kind of budget and provide that kind of money, then I kind of doubt uh, – wait, sorry, not doubt. Uh, I, I kind of <laughs> doubt that's going to happen. That would surprise me a lot is what I meant to say. Um, there's also a part of me that thinks that they'll go, hey, we spent – it didn't work. You know, we spent two years in a row, regardless of what the actual payroll comes out to in the end, the on paper opening day payroll looks much higher for them than it was for a period of a few years. And it wouldn't surprise me at all to have them go, mm, we spent money and didn't really work. We might be able to win that many games if we don't spend anything. And then you get into another, how many years is it going to be before they contend for anything? Uh, so yeah it's a weird kind of crossroads they're at and I just don't I don't know <laughs> I, was, I, I, so, I totally agree with you first of all um, it is a very weird place to be as a Mets fan you know I was talking to a friend of mine the other day who is not a Mets fan and he said like I, when I look at individual Mets players I'm shocked at how good your young core is but I look at your record, and I'm shocked at how bad your team is. And I feel like that's a perfect encapsulation of the season. Like, the Mets have the best young core they have had probably since, like, the 06 season. Would you agree with that in terms of just, like, pure talent on their roster? This yeah. seems like a more talented roster than the World Series roster in 2015. Um, and, yeah, you know... Uh, probably. It... it... That one's tough just because Harvey was still in his best form. Sure. So that's but, what... But Harvey, Harvey in his best Sidigar wasn't as good as DeGrom is now. Mm, it was close. I, I, I think DeGrom is considerably more impressive of a pitcher than Harvey is. Um, but that's that. 
but that's but you look we're splitting hairs here right like there was right the elite pitching i would just say like it seems to me like that 2015 team was always destined to have some older players who weren't going to be around for a run right guys who were sort of you know um whether it's your uh, your Kadires or whoever, just you know, these sort of role players that the Mets were were patching holes with that didn't seem like it was they were really like a part of the long term solution for the franchise. Whereas this year's team, to me, seems like there are seven or eight guys who I would be shocked if they're not there in three years. You know, the the young core is so young that you could you could have some of these guys as Mets for a, for an incredibly long time if they chose to. Um, but anyway, my point was that, like, if you're looking at this Mets roster, it is so deep with young talent, and yet it's just they've, they've just been so historically bad. And part of that is the bullpen. I mean, a big part of that is the bullpen, right? And the bullpen is, is frustrating because, on one hand, that is the easiest position to, quote, fix – in the offseason because so few guys are on long-term deals and it's always pretty easy to um to find a bargain or two here or there right um but i also have zero confidence in the mets ability to fix a bullpen <laughs> whereas other teams seem to do it every season and the mets never seem to be able to fix their bullpen um but just like just this weird this weird dichotomy of such a strong batch of talent in such a terrible record. And as mu- as much as I would like to, there's only so much of that I can blame on Mickey Calloway. Um, there's only so much of that you can really blame on the Wilpons to a certain degree. Their relief pitching has just been, it's been historically bad. And yes, it was assembled. You know, we, we talked all off season about the need for more pitching depth. So it, it was an imperfectly assembled team. But even as it was assembled, I don't think anybody could have predicted this bad, this bad performance from uh, Familia. Can't imagine Diaz being this bad as he's as bad as he's been to start of the season. I don't think we could have pictured Justin Wilson pitching as infrequently as he did. You know, there's just it's been such a terrible bullpen season that almost everything else had to have gone 100 percent right to back to to allow for a bullpen this bad. And because things haven't been 100% correct, you know, going well, you just you're left with this incredibly disappointing season. Um, yeah. And it, uh, it's kind of crazy that the Mets bullpen only has the third worst ERA in, in baseball. That's yeah. still really bad. It and is. It, I don't know how it's not the worst, though. Yeah. Well, the the Orioles are just that bad. And the, <laughs> the, the Nationals bullpen ERA is still worse. But there's a gap of 0.6 runs between the Mets and then the Mariners, who are uh, one one spot above them uh, at 27th. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and in the Mariners' uh, defense, they, from the Mariners up to the Rockies at 18th is less of a gap than there is between the Mariners and the Mets. Right. And it's it's not, uh, yeah. I just don't know. It's the second time I've said that in this episode. <laughs> You're right, though. I, I I don't know what to do. Like, at least Edwin Diaz should be awesome. Sure. 
we should at least have that. And we don't. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's the only guy of the bullpen worries that I feel is a small sample size blip because most relievers, even over the course of a full season, is still a small sample size, right? So relievers go through these stretches where if he was a starting pitcher, it would have been a couple of bad starts, and that would have been it. It wouldn't have seemed like the devastating effects that we get from a guy who pitches one inning a night pitching this poorly. Um, so, you know, for next year, you, you you bank on Diaz being being better, and I guess you maybe bank on Familia being better, but Familia is just... I mean, he had already... You know, last season was already not as good as he had been in years past, even though he had a nice performance once he was traded. So, you know, I think three years for Familia is going to look really stupid if it doesn't already look really stupid. Right. Um, but, I mean, to me, that's been the biggest negative of the team by a country mile thus far this season was the bullpen. Do you have any other votes for worst part of the team so far? Mm. Or rather, worst part of the season so far? Hmm. I mean, part of me wants to say Jason Vargas's few first few starts, but uh, those those seemed like a problem because you couldn't afford twenty percent of your starts to be made by that guy. Obviously, it's been a complete strange ride since then. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I know it was still fairly recent, uh, but the the Callaway Vargas Healy thing uh which started on and and wound up being the first day of meltdown after meltdown after meltdown and they lost every game they had seven games on that calendar week lost all of them and they had leads late in most of them (laughs) i i that entire thing it's not just one moment but i guess the 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 cursing at threatening of Healy, uh, that was probably it for me because that 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 just sort of changed them from uh, whatever kind of losers they were before to this team that can't win games and doesn't have uh, it can't even manage to just shut up and try to get the benefit of the doubt. So I. It, if any two people should be thrilled about Pete Alonso's all-star week, it should be those two guys. Yeah. It took the team from being idiots to being jerks. And right. I, I would take an idiot over a jerk every time. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think, I think being able to recognize the difference between those two, um, it's something that, that's uh, a thing a manager has to be able to figure out. Yes. Yeah, I, I think when all is said and done, if even if the bullpen has a relatively good second half, I think just Mickey Call I think the realization of the lack of talent for managing that Mickey Calloway possesses will ultimately wind up being one of the stories that will continue on past this season. Like when folks talk about the twenty nineteen Mets, I think Calloway's just utter inability to do anything right as a manager is going to be a big part of that conversation 
because he has been atrocious this season by any metric that you're that you're using. Um, you know, and the Mets have had a a lot of really bad managers in my time of intensely following the Mets. You know, I would argue that every manager since Bobby Valentine has been a poor manager, if not a if not an atrocious manager at times. I mean, were you particularly a fan of Art Howe, Willie Randolph, Jerry Manuel, or Terry Collins? Um, I guess at times, I, I wouldn't say I was ever totally all in on any particular manager. Um, and by the end of their tenures, I was always fine with moving on some, you know, varying degrees in there. <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah, it's a, it's a weird thing. I guess that's part of the frustration with Callaway too, is that he was this fresh face and seemed to have a, a personality that worked well for uh, going out and talking and, and all that. And early on, at least seemed to be saying things that were, maybe not sticking to just baseball convention and, and maybe he'll do some things a little bit differently. He'll be a little more aware. And then you get through half a season and a full season and then a season and a half of like, Oh no, he doesn't know how to make moves in a game. Uh, so it's just, he, he gave a certain kind of hope, I think when he was hired and when he spoke publicly, um, well, he was an outside the box choice in a number of ways and you know he um he allowed the team to look uh you know at least open minded in in the hiring process and he didn't seem like a typical Wilpons hire which seemed like a good thing but you know all of that has changed now pretty much so yeah to me bullpen the bullpen and the manager are the two sort of enduring failures of the first half. But let's let's be positive for a second, and let's take the big ones off the table. Can't talk about Alonso. Can't talk about McNeil. Okay. What have been some of the highlights of the first half for you? Mm. Do you want me to go first? you have a minute to think? Yeah, yeah. That uh, works. <laughs> uh, for me, you know, one of my least favorite things, and I know you're going to agree with me about this, is when a player hits a slump and everybody just presumes they're done if they're over the age of 30 or so. Yeah. And so seeing Todd Frazier, who by all accounts seems like a pretty decent guy too, in, in a sport where it can be hard to tell the good guys from the bad guys because of how media trained everybody is. Frazier by all accounts seems like a really nice guy. So to see Frazier be able to get out of his slump and to be a productive member of the team, if not an all-star, just, you know, a, a productive member of the team. I've been happy to see that. That's good. I like that one. And he's from New Jersey, and I got to represent my state, so. Yeah. Are, are there any notable conocutions playing uh, right now? Uh, <laughs> I don't know if I've heard that term for us. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if that's correct. I, I remember somebody I went to school with used to say his grandfather was a conocution because he was from nice. Connecticut. And so I have no idea if that's true or not, but that's what I yeah. heard. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no. It's a, there's no good word. I mean, there's no good. <laughs> they're not. They're not bad words, but there's just no. Like, yeah, that's it. Um, I guess the easy answer is just sort of Degrom 
being a little shaky early on and then getting settled back into being himself. Uh, that 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 kind of has felt good. Um, I but I'll go with Tom Smith. Another good answer. Who a whole bunch of people thought was never going to hit the major league level. And hey, guys have had half a good season or or one good season. And I mean, to be clear, he's had half a good season in a part-time role. <laughs> right. So I'm not saying it's entirely sustainable, but hey, this is, it, it's nice to see uh, even Keith Hernandez sings his praises in terms of the, just the person and what he's doing on the field. And I, I say that because I think Keith can be a, a harsh critic sometimes, uh, especially with younger players. I think that's a a fair assessment yes, of how and, he and you're also being fairly diplomatic in not signaling out certain types of players that Keith has been notoriously critical yes. of. Yes. Right. So yeah. <laughs> So yeah, it's it, I don't want to read too much into this success, but it has been fun to see um early in the season it was Alonzo and Smith were buddies even though they were sharing i mean alonzo got the vast majority of it but they're sharing playing time at the same position and uh they both just seem to be guys who are genuinely really just happy to be here (laughs) uh and seeing smith make something uh, of himself at the plate at this level it's been nice uh so yeah it's I don't know. Could fall apart, but he's at least got you believing that he could be an above-average major league hitter. Uh, and a year ago today, whether or not he'd ever be a major league hitter at all, I think was still in question. Absolutely, yeah. So it, it's also kind of fun to think about. You know, um, I think no, no matter what, it seems like every team's general manager gets dogged for any number of things including poor draft picks and all that when when oftentimes i think that there are, you know there's a lot more context needed for those kind of decisions but it's nice to see some of sandy alderson's less heralded picks working out like you know people did not like the dom smith signing and you and you can argue all day long that you drafted somebody else in that draft but it's nice to see a formerly a former bust workout let's put it that way you know i always like seeing that yeah. Yeah. No, Hashtag for sure. Sandy's mess. <laughs> um, a- any other quick ones? Mm, I guess just Seth Lugo continuing to be good. Uh, and for smaller moments of things that weren't even sustainable enough to last the whole rest of the season for the Mets. Um, the Carlos Gomez home run that he hit shortly after he came up, that was fun. It was. Uh, at the time, I said it might take him over Ligaris. I still stand by that, the way Ligaris has looked since then. <laughs> yeah, you, you could have justified DFAing either one of the guys. Um, and I still think that Carlos Gomez might have a better remainder of his 2019 season than Juan Ligaris, even though he's not on a team right now. <laughs> But yeah, yeah. I'll throw one more out there, which is um, 
which we have not seen on the major league field yet, but I'm hoping to see with soon, with, see soon rather, which is the uh, reemergence of Dilson Herrera, power hitter. Oh yeah, just you know, a, a name that is a footnote in Mets history, uh, traded for Jay Bruce back in the organization with the Miners, and seems to be having a, a hell of a season so far. So it was actually cho- elected free agency, and then re-signed with the Mets recently. So hopefully. We'll see Dilson in the uh, in the majors, you know, sooner than later. Only because that's a really fun thing to see. And similarly, even though I don't think either one should stick with the team for long, it'd be nice to see Ruben Tejada back in the majors too for a minute, just because we because we can. And Ruben Tejada, yeah. you know, fuck Chase Utley, always and forever. So. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. All right, well, let's take a break, and we'll come back in a minute with a little bit of a look at the first half. Uh, sorry, rather, the second half of the season. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. So we are about to embark on the second half, and I'm putting half in quotation marks, as we all know. Season isn't really half over, but, you know, for our purposes, it's fun to use this as the demarcation of half the season. So, second half's about to start. What do you think is a realistic expectation for the Mets in the second half of the season? Do you think that they will be better than they were in the first half, worse than the first half, or the same as the first half? And I'm going to hold you to this with money. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding. It, you can never really predict this. Just guess. You know, How do you feel right now about this? I mean, in terms of the record, I'll say better only because it'd be hard to be worse. Sure. And, you know, Mickey Calloway had rattled off the, oh, hey, we were terrible, really terrible, but then we had the best record in the National League or something, you know, whatever it was that he said about last season. Right, yeah. So the Mets always do like to find something to hang their head on, um, even if it doesn't mean that they came close to contending. Right. So, yeah, they've played 90 games. They've won 40 of them. Putting it that way sounds kind of depressing. Yes, it uh, does. But yeah, so they've got 72 left, and if they were to maintain that winning percentage, they'd only win another 32. 32 and 40. Yeah, I think they can do better than that. Okay. I I mean, from the beginning, it's been the least bold prediction ever, but I really felt like it was an accurate way to describe this team. They could end up with 71, 81, or 91 wins. Yeah. Um, <laughs> spoiler alert, they're, they're not going to end up at 91. No, that would be 
That would be some turnaround if they went up with 91 wins. It sure would be. Uh, and let me tell you, I, that would make for an amazing half a year of podcasting. So go for it, <laughs> Mets, please. Yeah, 51 and 21. <laughs> sounds sounds doable. Yeah. Uh, I mean, right now you're looking at, I, I guess if I'm going to predict, so I'll say they'll have a higher winning percentage in the second half than the first. Um and then I will say, I'm going to guess they finish at 77 wins. Okay, I'm going to be both more optimistic and more pessimistic than you at the same time, which is I think that they're going to win 82 games, mm-hmm. but they're going to do the Mets thing where they're going to look really good for a span of time and get us all really excited and then just crash and burn historically. So it's going to be more painful for them to win 82 games than to win 70, what is it, 77 games? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, th- I think it's going to be a, a more painful 82-win season somehow. All right. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it does. They'd, I, they'd have to load up on the wins early and then have them phase out. Yeah. Down, uh, or fade out, sorry, down the stretch. <laughs> Yeah, what what I think might be the most uh, realistic way that happens is, you know, the teams ahead of them in the East will will hit a skid right around the time that they hit a a nice bit of momentum, and they'll get within enough to make us all excited, and then just you know crash and burn. So that's my overall record prediction. Um, but let's talk about players you're looking forward to to watching in the second half. Is there anybody that you think? is you know due for a breakout or possibly um you know able to uh continue a great run you like basically who are you who are you most excited to see in the second half well i mean the obvious answers are alonzo and mcneil um they both got chances alonzo's got the chance at the overall rookie record for home runs uh if I had a bet, I'd say he'll do it. Um, Let's hope McNeil, so, man. McNeil's got a shot at the batting title, which is worth. It, it, it's noteworthy, even though we may not talk about batting average all the time. Still a fun thing. Yeah, I mean, especially, you know, we don't talk about batting average when someone's batting, you know, 300. When someone's batting 340, that's different. Oh, yeah. So yeah, those two are the obvious answers, and then I um, I kind of come back to Conforto. Uh, he's had this thing where he's just kind of flown under the radar, and I don't know. We've seen what he's capable of, and it's not like he's had a bad season this year. He's he's been pretty good. He just came into the All Star break really cold, but uh, yeah, always exciting to think of what he could do next. And for whatever reason, if he kind of remains in the background, despite being one of the better hitting outfielders in all of baseball, that's fine. I would just enjoy it a lot if I get to see him do that. Uh, And he's fully capable. And yeah, and going back to something you were talking about earlier, you you could be in a much worse spot trying to build a contending team than having him, McNeil and Alonzo. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I guess for me, a couple of players I'm interested to watch in the second half. 
Uh, number one is Noah Syndergaard, and we're going to talk about him in a more specific way in a few minutes. But I just think that Syndergaard is one of these players that flashes brilliance but hasn't been able to sustain it as of late. And we all know, or at least I know, and I think you know, that he's better than what he's, we've seen this season. So to see him put it together and to see just, when he and DeGrom are both going, it's just so fun and so exciting and would really put a, a nice boost in this team if they had two starters that were each, you know, as as shut down as shut down gets. So I think seeing Syndergaard in the second half potentially boost his, his, uh, his performance to if not elite levels, considerably above average levels. That's one player I'm looking forward to. And the other is, I, I, I just have this feeling that somewhere th- somewhere in this season, Wilson Ramos is going to have a week and a half where he looks like Babe Ruth, where he's just hitting the shit out of the ball and just, you know, just looking like the power hitter that he has been in the past. I don't think he has that for a full season in him anymore, but I think there's every chance that he could have a torrid 10-day stretch. And I look forward to that because those are always fun. And one of the great things about the Mets this season has been that their best hitters have not been very streaky. You know, Conforto aside, um, McNeil and Alonso have been remarkably consistent. They have not had any major slump, nor have they had any two-week period where they look like this is not sustainable. They're just both hitting all the time. They're just being remarkably even day in and day out. So while that is the, I would much prefer that player than a streaky player, there is something really fun about those, those short, intense, really, really special uh, performances. And so that's, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that, that Ramos can give us one of those before this season's out. Yeah. Hey, sounds good to me. <laughs> I'm glad you approve. <laughs> but yeah, on, on the Syndergaard topic. Uh, Go for it, man. <laughs> well, yeah, no, I mean, I couldn't agree more that I think he's better than what his season stats look like. Uh, obviously, certain things have been a little bit different. Uh, strikeout rate's a little bit down. Home run rate is way up, as it is for a whole lot of pitchers in baseball this year. Um, yeah. I mean, it was late April when I wrote a thing saying, like, he should be just fine. And, uh, you know, since then, especially because of uh, a couple of the more recent starts, that hasn't looked super prophetic. <laughs> um, <laughs> He's got a 4.23 ERA since then. It's not that different than his 4.68 on the season. But, yeah, it, it's – I don't know. It, what, what kills me about it is that you have a – I don't know what percentage of Mets fans, but you have some who seem to have forgotten just how good he was and how recently that was, uh, even last year. I think people are starting to kind of get down on him when he had a 3.03 ERA in 25 starts. You know, it's just bizarre to see how fans interact with some of the better players on their teams. Uh, So I don't know. 
I, I fully expect him to get back to his career norms. Um, it's been a weird first half for him, but yeah, I I don't know. It, it it's not like he was a decent number three. He over the last few years has been one of the top ten to fifteen pitchers in baseball. And you know when there's uh, 150 starting pitchers in baseball at any given time, being in the top 15 is nothing to sneeze at. Right. Yeah. Uh, so it's not like, like I feel the way people are talking about him now is how they should be talking about Wheeler. Wheeler's had some, uh, particularly the second half of last year, um, some of what he did before he got hurt and then missed two years. There were stretches in there of that, like, oh, wow, this is, he's putting it together, man. This is dominant. This is the guy who we always wanted. Syndergaard's already been at that level and above it for a long time. So I just don't understand how he is getting somewhat mixed reviews. And uh, at least some Mets fans seem to be ready to run him out of town. Uh, with the trade rumor that uh, resurfaced today. Right. Uh, before we get to that trade rumor, I do just want to say, I think probably the biggest thing working against Syndergaard is the success of DeGrom. Yeah. Yeah, probably. Um, and also, perhaps, the... Um, and we could spend two weeks talking about the Matt Harvey as a Met time, but I think that Harvey's utter dominance to unceremoniously being more or less run out of town uh, experience somewhat clouds people's judgment too uh, about any young pitcher. And DeGrom has just been so good, he's been able to avoid anything like that. But, you know, I don't think it's, I don't think it's all that difficult for people to look at Syndergaard and whenever he has a bad start, think that this is the end of his um, you know, his dominant time, even if he doesn't have a thoracic outlet problem or insert other pitching problem here, he's just been scuffling a little bit, you know. Uh, I, I do think he's much better than we've seen, and I, I know that if that the minute the Mets trade him, if they do, he will turn into a superstar because that's what happens to Mets who are traded away. Oh, they, yeah. They become superstars. So so let's talk about this for a second. So there, there was reports today that the San Diego Padres have reached out to the Mets about Syndergaard's availability. Um, I know where you stand on this, and you and I stand in pretty much the same place, but I'm going to make an argument for trading Syndergaard, and tell me if this argument is flawed. Okay? I mean, I, I know it's flawed. I, I guess tell me how flawed it is uh, in a minute. So... I think that at this point in Syndergaard's career, you have a pretty solid idea of what his ceiling is. I think you don't really know what his floor is because he has been so inconsistent, especially this season. But we've seen the transcendent Syndergaard. We know what, what you would get there, and we have uh, somewhat of an idea of what a full season of that might look like. You can quantify a 99th percentile 
Syndergaard performance over the course of a season. The problem with the Mets as they are currently constructed is a 99th percentile Syndergaard outcome for this season does not change their record a stitch. And Syndergaard being very, very good or very, very bad for the remainder of this season and possibly next season is not going to do all that much to change the Mets' fortunes outside of a just enjoyment of watching baseball slash uh, general opinion about the team way. But like in terms of actually making any sort of playoff push or you know keeping in the division till you know September or late August I don't think a great Cindergard is enough to get the team there so you might ask yourself okay how do you get the team there I think you get the team there by a a pretty significant rebuild at a couple of positions and the because the Mets don't spend any money I think it's it's a little bit foolish to expect them to be able to rebuild to the level they need to without spending some money. So if you can't spend any money and you don't and you have a player that is very good but isn't good enough to put you over the edge by himself at least, I can see an argument being made for trading a guy who holds the most value to be able to trade him and to get a collection of pieces back for him that in two or three years would be able to push you over that line in a way that he himself could not do. Does that make sense at least? I get it, yeah. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if it's overthinking it a little or or if it's just that I revert back to this skepticism. <laughs> I, I guess my skepticism should apply to both scenarios here. Uh, keep him around. I'm skeptical the Wilpons will pony up the money to extend him because they've already extended one player, and hey, that's enough for forever, probably. Right. Um, Even though they should be extending both McNeil and Alonso right now. Yeah, and at appropriate salaries. Uh, I love McNeil. He he is significantly older than than Alonso. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, you work with that, and you can kind of. I don't know, uh, solidify the foundation, I guess, of, mm-hmm. of that position player future of the team. But Especially it, as Conforto likely won't resign with them as a Boris client. Yeah, I mean, it, that's true. Um, you never know. Uh, there have been uh, Strasbourg signed an extension uh, with an ownership group that was heavily into deferred money and being a Boris client and not being that far from free agency and the way free agency has gone, they, they might've read that exactly correctly. Um, but yeah, there is that factor, but with Syndergaard, it, it's kind of, I'm skeptical they'll pay to keep him around, but I'm even more skeptical that they'll pay, uh, anybody else who can come close to the kind of pitcher he is. They, like, I feel like if they trade him, they have to get a couple other players who you could realistically put into that McNeil Alonzo uh, category of, hey, we've got now not just those two in Conforto, but we've got five players in the lineup who are relatively young and all 
excellent hitters. Uh, and then a, a, a rotation that's Jacob deGrom and a bunch of the number four starters. And playing a very different kind of baseball than I think we've gotten used to over the last few years and certainly that historical uh, starting pitching-centric idea of the Mets. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I You could work with that the way that you're thinking about it. And uh, as always, to trade somebody of that caliber, I as a fan, I would want to feel like they were blown away. Um, I'd, I'd want the other team to be trading for a guy who costs what a top 15 pitcher in the game costs and not what a pitcher who has a ERA above four and a half right now for this season uh, would cost. So, you know, it's... I just keep coming back to not being able to talk talk myself into uh, the owner the owners of this team doing what's necessary, whatever course they decide to take. But don't you think that the least, I guess the most likely scenario, excuse me, scenario in which the the Mets are able to acquire meaningful game-changing talent, doesn't the most likely scenario for that seem to be via trade because the Wilpons are just so cheap? Yeah, yeah, I get that. Again, I'm not rooting for this, and I don't think this is the best course of action. I just think right. that there there can be an argument made for this. Yeah, no, 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 and I I, I do get that. the The one thing I've consistently come back to in talking about the Mets with uh, family or friends or or Fox Five New York. Yeah, <laughs> that was a thing that happened. That was fun. Um, but it's just that they won't spend what's necessary to get uh, top-tier talent. And refusing to even think about Machado or Harper this winter was... uh, We didn't really need to be told, but that was the clearest way to tell us. Right. We're never going to be in on those types of players for as long as we own this team. It's just not what we do. Uh, we We don't care if... They're in their mid-20s, and they're some of the best players this generation is going to see. It's not for us. So if you can get somebody, and I, I, you know, look, I don't know. You can get somebody who has all all the promise of a Machado or a Harper, and they could not turn out to be half as good a player. Um, And, you know, there'd be, uh, sometimes that's just out of your control. Sometimes it just doesn't materialize. Um, I know Byron Buxton's put together a, a nicer season this year and is still not old by any means at the age of 25. Uh, but look at how much prospect hype he had yeah, and how much he struggled in four years in the majors, uh, the parts that he spent in the majors to, you know, get anywhere near what that hype was. Uh, and it's really good to see him doing it now, but it's just kind of that point. Like that kind of guy doesn't necessarily pan out and you could get one or two of those guys and not have it work out. Uh, 
But I guess the probability, if you got two who are on that level, which I don't know if Syndergaard can get you at this point, but say you got two guys who were, I don't know, top 50 in the, all the baseball prospects kind of guys, and they both panned out, the odds of that might be higher than the Mets signing somebody who ever gets anywhere near a Machado or Harper level of production. So, yeah, it was a long answer, but I, I, I agree with your point because it's the thing that frustrates me the most with this team, that the only way you're keeping top or they're, you're paying top-tier talent is if the guy's been on the team for a long time and is willing to basically uh, take a bit of a hometown discount, for lack of a better term. Not to go off on too much of a tangent here because we're already getting near the end of the show, but um, I actually think there could be an equally compelling case made and one I disagree even stronger with, but just sort of as an intellectual exercise for trading Conforto instead of Syndergaard because of the signability question for him. And, uh, you know, starting pitching will usually net more than a position player will at the sort of trade deadline. Um, or at least that's been the, the case historically the last couple of years, but you know, m maybe, maybe you're able to get Conforto on the trading block and, you know, especially, I mean, there's going to be a big, big log jam next season for the Mets if uh, Jed Lowry ever plays a game for them, if UNS Espinus comes back, there's going to be a big position player logjam. And so maybe you take advantage of that. Again, I don't, I'm not advocating for this. Players get hurt, et cetera, et cetera. But I could see an argument where you look at Conforto and say, okay, of all of our players, because of his representation, Conforto was the one least likely to sign an extension or, you know... Um, or come back as a free agent, and so let's let's exploit that. Let's trade him, and let's you know um, go from there. I I don't like that plan either, but I could also see an argument made for that. <sighs> I hope not. <laughs> I hope not either. But again, like I I do think that at a certain point, we as Mets fans have to get realistic about about this and I have lots of friends who are um fans of small market teams I got a bunch of Pittsburgh Pirates fans in my life and you know they'll tell you how frustrating it is to develop a player to the brink of superstardom and then to see him traded away and I don't want the Mets to just become a feeder system for the better run franchises in baseball so I'm not advocating for trading one or either of these guys but I do think that we have to get to a point as a franchise, as a fan base, where we realize that if we want to acquire top shelf young talent through any means other than the draft, which even the best run draft is always a crapshoot, I think trading some significant talent is the most likely way to see the Mets improve their team dramatically in any, in any one season. Yeah, it's kind of... It sucks that it has to come to thinking of these things. <laughs> yes, yes, it does. Uh, any other second half thoughts before we uh, get to our music picks? Uh, no, not really. I guess just enjoy Pete Alonzo, enjoy Jeff McNeil, enjoy Jacob deGrom, enjoy whoever's left after the trade deadline uh, as much as you can. Um, 
and yeah, just you, you got to look for the silver linings. And and I guess I'll say that we're we're lucky enough that in a lot of seasons that have gone poorly for the team over the last decade, certainly not all of them, but in a lot of them, we've had individuals doing something that's really worth watching. Uh, last year it was Degrom. The Dickie Cy Young year was was another mm-hmm. one. That that was also the uh, the first no hitter, the only yep. no hitter. Uh, you know, you're right. So it, at least we have that. You could the, you could have a terrible team that has no individual um, doing anything on that level. You could, like the Marlins right now, and I'm not trying to insult. They've got some young pitchers who have you know who have pitched well and everything, but they don't have a Pete Alonso right now. Uh, they don't have a 2018 Jacob Degrom. Most teams never have. Right. <laughs> um, so, at least we've wound up with that. Uh, so that's kind of nice. So I'll, I'll I'll leave it on that optimistic note. Uh, Pete Alonso breaking the rookie home run record is something to watch for, and the other two guys and Conforto just yeah. There's there's guys you can root for and reasons to. You know, maybe not watch every single night, but stay in the realm of the Mets. Yeah, agreed. All right, Chris, what's your music pick for this week? So I'll go with a band that I only got to see about half of their set at uh, Wilco's Solid Sound Festival, but uh, Wand. They had been scheduled to play Desert Days last year, and then they were part of the night that got rained out. When we were there, so they didn't play at all there, uh, and now I'm dying to see a full set from them. But saw about half of their set, and uh, their their latest record is called Laughing Matter. And there's it it, it, it kind of covers a pretty wide array of sound. Um, so there are times that it's there's definitely uh, some. Similarities at times to Radiohead, um, but I, I, that's that's too simple an explanation to explain the whole band. But the record start to finish, uh, it had been hyped up to me a little bit by some of my friends, and I didn't quite get it until I saw them live, and then it clicked. And then it was like, oh, yep, okay, I want to listen to this a lot. So yeah, Wand, Laughing Matter. Here's a really fun question to talk about for one second here, which is um, there are lots of times when you hear, like, I didn't get so-and-so's album, song, whatever, until I saw them live. Has there ever been a band you saw live but didn't get them until you heard their album? Oh. And there are obviously uh, some bands that are better in studio than, than live, but I don't know if I've ever been converted that way. Yeah, I don't know. Off the top of my head, no, but I, I'd have to think about that one. Okay, yeah, that'll be uh, that'll be a grower for next week. We'll let you think about that and see what happens. Um, so I am uh, I'm going to pick an album, and I don't think I picked this band before, though I I I am afraid maybe I have. Have I talked about the minus five on this show before? I don't know. I keep saying I'm going to make the Google Doc that has our <laughs> recommendations. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think you have. Oh, I'm going to talk about an older album of theirs anyway, in case, because they had an album come out earlier this year, and maybe I mentioned that album, but I'll, I'll mention an older album of theirs. So the Minus Five is the brainchild of the great Scott McCoy, 
who for many years was a sideman for REM. He was a founder of the Young Fresh Fellows. Um, he is in a bunch of other bands. He's in a band called Filthy Friends with Corin Tucker of Sleater Kinney. Um, he's the bass player for Alejandro Escovejo on a lot of his more recent work. Um, I'm, I'm learning things here that I should have known. Uh, he played on uh, Wilco's uh, Star Wars record. He played uh, Mellotron on one track and co-wrote a song with Jeff Tweedy. He did a whole album with Wilco, Down With Wilco, it's called. Do you have that album, Chris? Uh, somewhere. I okay. think so. Right, I'm cause... familiar with its existence, yes. Okay, <laughs> that is a great album. And, uh, yeah, um, he's just like, he's the ultimate sideman. He's, he's great. And he's in a band called The Baseball Project, which plays songs about baseball, and they're fantastic. And, uh, yeah, he, Scott McCoy is, is one of my favorite musicians on the planet. I think he has impeccable taste. And uh, he had a stroke last year and um, was on, was sort of, maybe two years ago, maybe, actually, now. But he was walking in San Francisco and had a stroke. And people thought he was just someone overdosing on drugs and they kind of walked past him. And it wasn't, he was like a half hour he was out there having a stroke before somebody found him. And um, they got him to a hospital and he was told he'd never play guitar again. And the next day, Peter Buck from REM, who's also in the Minus Five and the baseball project with him, uh, and plays with Alejandro Escobedo and lots of, they're in, Steve, um, Peter Buck and Scott McCoy are in like 10 bands together. Um, but he brought him a guitar in the hospital the next day and said, like, play this. And uh, McCoy credits that with him basically having his life saved. That Peter Buck just, like, told him, you have to, you have, this is who you are, you have to do this. And so um, his new album is called Stroke Manor. It's really good. Uh, it's it's definitely one of the odder Minus 5 releases, which I guess makes sense when you've had a brain trauma. Um but I saw them a few weeks ago, uh, right before you saw them at Solid Sound, like, you know, three days beforehand, whatever, in a club in Jersey City. There was like 100 people there. It was not a very well-sold show, and they just killed it. Um, it's amazing. So any Minus 5 record is worth your time, but I'm going to um, gonna recommend, it's, it's fans call it the Gun album, because there's a gun on the cover, but it's just called the Minus 5, and um, it's just amazing sort of um, power pop with really, really great guitar playing. And uh, it's just super fun. There's a song in here called Aw Shit Man, which they ended their set with, which is one of my favorite Minus Five songs. And uh, But any, all of their albums have really great playing on it. And he has like the best friends in the music industry. Uh, so many amazing people guest on Minus Five Records. So when I saw them, and, and they were at Solid Sound as well, he had two members of R.E.M., Peter Buck and Mike Mills, playing with him. Uh, the drummer, Linda Pittman, is also in the Baseball Project, and uh, she's been in a million bands in the Minneapolis area over the years. He had uh, Kurt Block from the Fastbacks on the guitar, who also is in the Young Fresh Fellows with him. And uh, I was also in Filthy Friends with Peter Buck and him and Karin Tucker, who I mentioned before. Um, and uh, just this incredible, incredible musician who surrounds himself with other incredible musicians. He, I think the stroke might slow him down songwriting-wise, but he's been on like five albums since he's had a stroke, which is insane. Uh, yeah. So uh, from 2006, the Minus Five self-titled album, The Gun Album. Specifically, check out Aw Shit Man. Super fun. Yeah. Uh, 
I feel like our music chats are going to get longer and longer <laughs> as, <laughs> as this show grows, but that's okay. Yeah. That's good. Um, well, anyway, thanks for listening. As always, everybody, please go to AmazingAvenue.com where you can check out the rest of our podcast as well as our full spate of Mets coverage. Uh, you know, we have one more day of the All-Star break as you're listening to this on Thursday, hopefully. You know, games get back on Friday. We're happy to see the Mets back in action, no matter what that may bring. Um, but you can, whatever it does bring, you can find it on AmazingAvenue.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Amazing Avenue. You can find uh, this show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, anywhere that there are podcasts. You can likely find this. And uh, let's um, let's get you guys to rate and review the show if you can, because that that helps a lot. And when you rate and review this show, you're actually rating and reviewing all the shows on the Amazing Avenue Podcast Network. Shows like Unformidable. And uh, from Complex to Queens, and A Pot of Their Own, and Amazing Avenue in Conversation, all of which are really fun. And uh, yeah, so rate, review, and subscribe. That helps us get to more listeners, and that's a really good thing. You can email us at aaaudiopodcast at gmail.com. And uh, you can follow Chris on Twitter at Chris McShane. I am at Brian Needs a Nap, and we are out of time. And so until then, let's go, Mets.